Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to another Sibyline podcast. In this session, we're going to be talking about Iran and Europe, notably following the announcement of the uh, European Special Purpose Vehicle on the 31st of January. And with me to do that, I'm joined by our senior analyst for uh, the Middle East and Africa, Phil Riding, uh, our senior analyst for Middle East and North Africa, uh, Norka Baita, and our senior analyst for Europe, Matt Sahovsky. So uh, thanks very much for joining, guys. Perhaps, Phil, we'll start with you. What exactly has happened? So on the 31st of January, uh, the governments of uh, Britain, France and Germany announced the creation of a special purpose vehicle. Uh, Discussions uh, for the creation of this uh, have been ongoing for for several months, but it's finally arrived and it's been christened INSTEX, uh, and that's uh, an abbreviation of the instrument uh, in support uh, of trade exchanges. And basically the objective of creating uh, this mechanism is to keep uh, Iran bound to the terms of the JCPOA, or more commonly known as the Iran deal back in uh, from 2015. And effectively what Instex does is to provide a, a mechanism which is described as a mirror image transaction service. And what that effectively means is that if I am an exporter selling goods to Iran and American sanctions prohibit me from receiving uh, money in exchange for those goods, what I do is uh, sign up to Instex and I'm paired with another European company which is importing goods from Iran. Uh, and so effectively what happens is rather than uh, that uh, importer paying an Iranian company for their goods, they in effect pay me. Uh, and then on the other side of, uh, of the, the geographical divide in Iran, uh, they, the government there would need to set up their own version of Instex to effectively compensate those importers and exporters doing business with Europe. So it, this is a, a complex instrument and that's one of the reasons why it's taken so long uh, to come to fruition. What is of note uh, with Instex is that its scope is likely to be very limited. So it's only really going to cover humanitarian goods, uh, so medicines and, and food in particular. And so it's probably not living up to the expectations of the Iranian government that really hoped that it would effectively provide a kind of boon to the Iranian economy, which has, has suffered as a result of uh, the reimposition of, of US sanctions. Uh, and then sort of just looking forward uh, in the immediate term, we don't really expect to see any deterioration in, in US-EU relations uh, because, you know, the, as I've just uh, mentioned, the, the SPV has been on the cards for quite some time. Uh, and then in the sort of business environment, we're not really expecting Instex to provide a, a great deal of uh, or inject a degree of confidence into the business relationship uh, between uh, the EU and Iran because, again, of the, the narrow scope of, of the goods that are covered in, in this particular agreement. Uh, but what it does do is, is raise an interesting series of questions about regional uncertainty and the uncertainty of both EU and US policy towards um, Iran and, and perhaps the Middle East more broadly. So uh, the EU has attempted to come up with a kind of twin-track policy to Iran where it both offers the boon of the, of the SPV whilst also cracking down on um, the Iranian intelligence services business ties to, to Europe. But, you know, the extent to which that's going to be a successful policy is, uh, you know, remains up for debate. 
Hmm. Okay, thank you very much, Phil. So, yeah, so Matt, coming on to you, from the European side then, how and, and why did the EU create INSTEX? And, you know, crucially, what does it hope to achieve? So, politically, INSTEX is a EU effort to save the JCPOA, but it is also very much a product of the EU facing growing constraints to do precisely that. That is because of two main reasons. First, the EU willingness to confront the US over Iran has always been quite limited. That is because of EU's historic security and economic ties to the US. This has been highlighted in the, by the activation of the EU blocking statute in May 2018, which was the high point of this willingness. And even then, that, that blocking statute was very vague and lacked proper enforcement mechanisms. Other more assertive ideas never actually came to fruition. This includes plans for the European Investment Bank to facilitate trade with Iran, and more aggressive ideas such as a protective carve-out for EU companies or a more aggressive clawback, which would effectively have had claimed the damage that EU companies suffered from US companies based in the EU. Um, more recently, um, EU willingness to confront US has again even has reduced even more and its internal divisions on the issue increased. Um, that's due to a range of reasons, um, from the advances in EU-US trade negotiations in July, a more recent economic slowdown in, e in key EU states, from Germany to Italy. Also, another factor that has, has have played an important role were the recent Iranian attempted assassinations in France in June and Denmark in September. Uh, when, as Phil said, the EU branded part of the Iranian government effectively as terrorist organizations. And there's also a, a, a tangible east-west division within the EU on the issue where the Central and Eastern European countries, and particularly Poland, are suspicious of the way Iran has been handled by the so-called E3 countries, so UK, Germany and France, who have the leading role within the bloc and who feel where, where the Central Eastern European countries feel that GCPOA should not be saved at any cost. And INSTEX, as I said, is very much a product of these dynamics. Um, the EU tried to show some support for Iran, but because of these limits, it faces significant constraints, and that is why INSTEX is such a limited, limited mechanism. For example, the, the, the mechanism is based in Paris because Germany didn't want to host it because it was afraid of US reprisals. Another, another request from the E3 that Iran implements the Financial Action Task Force, which is an anti-money laundering mechanism, again shows the kind, of, um, the kind of distance that the EU is trying to put, itself, put, put between itself and Iran. Okay, so something of a uh, contradiction going on then with, you know, on the one hand, INSTEX being uh, you know, a, a show towards Iran of, uh, you know, look, we are trying to, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to help. And then on the other hand, quite a lot of measures going on, which, uh, which is sort of stopping that. So, Noor, perhaps we'll come on to you now. What, what about the Iranian side of things? How, how has Iran reacted to INSTEX? Um, so far, Iran's reaction has been positive, but very measured. Uh, the Iranian establishment generally has welcomed the, the um, INSTEX. Uh, however, they have stressed that this is the first step in negotiating and potentially expanding trade with Europe. And that's quite telling in that um, Iran will seek to expand you know, the, the coverage of INSTEX and to see how they can you know, gain further trade from Europe. So on one side, they are happy about the SPV and, and how that will ease pressure on them in terms of um, coping with the sanctions imposed by the US. But at the same time, it seems that Tehran is expecting a bit more from Europe in the coming months. And I'm not sure how long their patience will last in that way. And what are the domestic and economic implications for Iran? And I guess extending on from that, uh, the, what, how will Iran's foreign policy be affected? 
So domestically, there's not that many immediate implications for Iran. Instex isn't going to prompt a huge change in the domestic policies that the Iranian government is currently doing. Um, the fact that it covers pharmaceutical and humanitarian aid is a positive thing for the country. But again, it, it relies on Iran setting up its own version of Instex to kind of work alongside the European one. And that will take a few weeks. But the fact that it is easing some um, constraints on the pharmaceutical industries is a, is a positive thing for Iran because a lot of the Iranian population have been struggling with access to pharma and with, to food and goods and services. And prices have gone up a lot over the past you know, few months, kind of since November, when the sanctions first started to actually take effect. So in a way, it's a, it's a positive step, but it also is dependent on Iran's ability to create their own mechanism to facilitate Instex to actually work in the country. And protests have generally gone down. Um, they're not as frequent anymore. And I think the sanctions have had some form of rallying effect among the domestic population, which has changed the focus on blaming the government for a lot of the economic problems and now is blaming the West and blaming Europe. And I think conservative elements within the Iranian kind of political establishment will bandwagon more on that and kind of focus their anger towards European countries rather than the US because as Phil touched upon earlier this um, twin track policy that the EU is trying to enact within Iran is not really resonating very well with conservative elements of Iran that are increasingly annoyed about the EU's kind of hesitation and contradiction and and they, they would rather have a more unified approach but again I mean that's increasingly more difficult for Europe to achieve so there's a bit of a source of tension between the EU and and Iran, it based on that kind of inherent contradiction in their policy. So um, domestically, in terms of uh, the limited scope of Instex be, being mostly on, on medicines and, and aid, does that mean that we're going to see a return in Iran to uh, this widespread counterfeiting of, uh, of Western goods? You know, that before JCPOA, am I right in thinking there was, you know, counterfeiting was, was quite widespread and there were you know, people may do effectively. Do you think we're going to see a return to that? I think not so much as a return, as an intensification. I think even with the JCPOA, counterfeiting and black market negotiations were still happening. Uh, Iran has survived under sanctions for years and will continue to do so. They have, pr they have um, enacted some fairly robust ways of subverting sanctions and still moving on with their economic policy. And at the moment, it seems that they are quite happy to keep pushing forward with kind of amending the JCPOA somehow to suit them because they see political and security gains to be made from it. However, if the situation, if the, if the economic situation keeps deteriorating, I'm not sure that they'll, you know, want to hang on to the JCPOA for that much longer. And one of the, you know, biggest indicators of that is that they're still amping up their missile program. They're not touching their nuclear defense program, but they are amping up their missile program, um, as demonstrated by unveiling a long-range missile over the weekend during their celebrations of the of the Islamic Revolution. So whilst they want to kind of keep pushing a kind of conciliatory tone, they will start kind of pressuring the regional environment if their economic situation starts to deteriorate and if they start to see that keeping JCPOA alive might not actually be very beneficial for them, especially if Europe's not really giving them a solution or an answer. But to go back to your point on counterfeiting and black market negotiations, I mean, the IRGC are very adept at using their smuggling networks, and sanctions haven't really stopped that. So in that sense, it's a very much a continuation of previous policy. And also, I mean, one final thing is that there's a very big domestic debate going on at the moment over organized crime and whether or not they will adopt the Palermo Convention or not. And that is something that has been driven a lot by the future of the country's economy. 
Okay, so as part of that, are we seeing an intensification of IP theft, you know, in the, in the kind of cyber domain, or is is that is that not particularly evident yet, but perhaps something to watch? I mean, it's it's been a core feature of a lot of Iran's cyber activity, and as the regional environment becomes more tense, I don't see that you know kind of dying down at all. In fact, the more pressured they feel, them you know having opportunistic cyber activity is is a good thing for them. Brilliant, thank you very much. So Matt, just coming back to you then. What will EU policy be going forwards as the year progresses? And this sort of twin-track diplomatic approach, is that viable? So overall, we expect to see much of the same, really. This twin-track or, or carrot-and-stick approach really will be with us for a long time, and where, where potentially the carrot will grow somewhat smaller and the stick somewhat bigger, uh, where, as the EU increasingly faces pressure to, to adhere more to US policy. For example, yesterday, on, on the 4th of February, the uh, EU issued a statement as a bloc where it welcomed Instax but condemned Iran's ballistic missile program at the same time. Um, and just the fact that this statement on an EU mechanism took over a week to negotiate, just in terms of the wording, shows how divided the bloc really is. There will be a summit um, on the 12th to 13th of February in Warsaw, where, again, the, the US and EU officials will, will gather to, to, to talk about the issue. The EU is unlikely to prove particularly harsh, although there are some indications that, that, could, that could show that or signal that this might, this might come to pass. For example, if, if the EU insists that, the, that Iran implement, implements the FATF, or if EU sends a high-level EU representation to the summit because there's been pressure for, on, on European governments to refrain from doing that as the summit is kind of seen as very much driven by the US to punish Iran. So any kind of hostile rhetoric towards the organization of the summit itself could, could indicate that, that the EU is willing to stand alone. But as of now, we don't really expect to see that. Okay, so... Just to wrap up then, what, what are the main implications for, for business in the EU, Matt? You know, from, uh, from everything that's happened and the, the drivers and the uh, strategic predictions that you've made, what does that mean to businesses in Europe? So overall, I would, I would say that the, the most impactful implications have already happened. Uh, we have seen a large number of European businesses withdrawing from Iran. At the same time, the sanction risk from US to businesses seen as implicated in Iran uh, remains high, which highlights the importance of due diligence as many, many businesses linked to Iran still continue to operate in Europe. Uh, cybersecurity and espionage risks will definitely continue to remain on an increasing trajectory in Europe. There is at least one advanced persistent threat group, APT34, as branded by FireEye, that is linked to Iran, which broadly uh, largely targets government, government assets, but also, also, financial, also the financial sector, uh, the energy sector, chemical and communication sectors. So that is something we continue to, we, we expect to see in the, in the long term. That is, of course, part of a larger trend, for example, last year, Germany, Germany released um, a, a report where it highlighted growing Iranian um, cybersecurity operations in the region, but this will exacerbate that trend. And what about the, uh, Noor, you mentioned it earlier, the, the plots that were discovered, the Iranian plots that were discovered in Europe late last year. Are we likely to see more of that kind of thing? You know, what, I can't remember what, uh, what drove that, but perhaps you could expand both you and Matt on, on that and whether that's a feature. I mean, from the Iranian side, it's certainly part of a larger foreign policy tool that they've been adopting for quite some time. Uh, Iran is particularly good at employing its proxies, both regionally and internationally. And although Instec I don't think Instex is going to change much from that, um, 
you might see you know more more plots being discovered but at the same time i i don't see instex as you know being kind of a, a turning point for iranian foreign policy i would agree with that because we we've seen that from for example from the for the from the plot in france where uh, allegedly, uh, Iran-linked groups tried to detonate a quite large IED in a large conference uh, near Paris where high-level uh, US officials were attending. That shows that Iran doesn't really pay much attention to what will, what will happen as a consequence of the JCPOA or EU approach on it. So that's definitely something that will continue. Yeah, very interesting stuff. What about the implications of INSTEX towards Iran's economic environment? Iran's economic trajectory isn't going so well anyways. I think uh, Instex might provide some relief in terms of, especially on the humanitarian side. But again, that's dependent on Iran setting up its own mechanism to facilitate Instex operations. Pharma companies are particularly happy about about this development. But again, it, it, it does rely on Iran's kind of speed and, and ability to kind of create this mechanism to facilitate this trade. But again, I think I think at the economic gains of Instex are going to be quite limited, specifically because they don't focus on oil and manufacturing, which is kind of two big industries in Iran. So, in terms of the actual tangible impact on Iran's economy, it won't be very very large. Okay, brilliant. Nor Matt, Phil, thank you very much for your insights as ever. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services, or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at